a number of years ago, I left my job as an architect to pursue the idea that the digital environment would become as important to our daily life as any built environment. It was a big change in lifestyle and what my future looked like, but mostly it was an agreement with myself, either known or unknown at that point, that I would be in near constant change. Hundreds of jobs and one job, a new company every year or so that morphed to grow with this environment, all while trying to hold on to a core identity to make things better. Marketing things or companies or ideas often pulls from its bag of tricks the notion of change. In this episode, we'll look at the idea of change as a means to growth, organizations that are using it, and if it's still a reasonable way to think about things. What is now with change and what will be next with change? My name is Brian Jones, and as always, Patience Jones. Hello. Here to navigate the topic. Let's start off. What kind of prompted this was a recent article that was published about Target and how they are in the midst of really rolling out a completely revamped view of how they present their merchandise on the store floor, but also the idea of what it means to have their physical stores, that they will become much more of quasi-distribution centers and less of a traditional, you go and you have a bunch of stock on the shelf sort of uh, situation. It got me thinking because many retail giants are struggling at the moment to find their footing amidst the competition from Amazon and other online retailers and how you can finally maybe embrace change and when is it appropriate to embrace change and is it still is change just a a four-letter word (laughs) it's not (laughs) first thing fact one facts you can't change that yes now we're getting into kind of the season of change too right like it's new year new kind of maybe spring yeah um allegedly allegedly it's the time when fresh starts and changes and I can't say that word without thinking of Jerry Blank from Strangers with Candy. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Brian. Um, change. So so Target is one of the companies that is kind Trying of to deciding for itself yeah. that it's going to reinvent itself. Then as anybody that has clients knows, you sometimes have to be the one to come in and say, I think we need to change something. Or the client says, I want to change, but they don't really understand at the moment that they say that what all that entails. That it actually means something and isn't just another word that you throw around. Because how many times have you sat across the table from somebody or been in a scene play out in in real time that somebody says, oh, we're really going to do this big initiative and it's going to change everything. And at the tail end of it, you're back where you started. And it really, it's because there's this inertia to a degree that keeps people where they are, but it's the unknown. I think. Well, there's this so there's this really interesting article that was published in the Annual Review of Psychology in 2014, and it talks about change and why we perceive change the way that we do. It's based on the idea that change signifies a threat to your self-perception and your adequacy of self. If something is changing around me, that might mean that there's something wrong with me. Or that you're no longer relevant or Right. Yeah. So it's this kind of instinctive, almost a fight or flight response to change that is very self-defensive and says, no, I'm not going to do that. So even if your conscious mind is saying, you know what, we really need to change up our business model. Because you don't have sales or because any number of reasons, right? Right. The subconscious part of you is saying, no, 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 resist that. Don't do that. That's terrible. That poses a threat. That might hurt us. It's not safe. And and I won't be relevant anymore. So it's a real, it is inertia. And it is people just being sometimes lazy, sometimes stubborn, but also sometimes it's a very ingrained, involuntary response to change. 
let's break this down a little bit. There's the idea of change where you come into an organization and you say, okay, we're doing X, now we need to do Y. It isn't based on necessarily any facts. And you've seen places that will do that. The cautionary tale back into the retail space again of that is JCPenney said, okay, our business sales are flat. We're going to change our model completely. We're going to do away with having any specials or promotions. We're going to provide a fair price. We're going to move the brand forward with a bunch of more perceived luxury goods in the store, but make them at an accessible price. Well, as it turns out, the audience that shops there wasn't necessarily ready for that change and they weren't necessarily looking for it, that there were other market factors that might have been causing their sales to decline and that they weren't really keeping in pace with what their consumers wanted. There's the idea of change for change sake, but then there's the more grounded one, which seems like what you're kind of talking about. Noticing that something is wrong and using change as a, a means to getting to someplace new that you haven't been before. There's always that middle ground there where you have one foot in the past and one foot in the future and you're afraid to remove the foot from the past. And that's that's always for me, the struggle is often the, well, what if we give up this thing and you know will we be able to, to sustain ourselves on this new thing that we're about to embark mm -hmm. on? And it's pretty scary. What advice do you have for making that assessment of when it's time and appropriate? The common assessment is usually when the desire to change becomes greater than the burden of living with the problem. And it's like in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, they talk a lot about hitting your bottom. You kind of have to hit your bottom in order to be willing to make the change and willing to put in the work and confront the fear and all of that stuff. What you kind of have to do is have a false bottom if that makes any sense. And you kind of have to adjust your tolerance for pain a little bit. You know, you have to decrease it and you have to look at, okay, what if this was the worst possible business cycle? Let's play that out. Let's see how much better this could get. But it could also be the idea of acknowledging that in the course of business, people's tastes change. They become more fond of something and less fond of something else. So maybe looking proactively and looking for trends that have happened over time and saying, how do I begin to identify a trend when it's happening, when I'm at the beginning of a trend, when I'm at the middle of a trend, when I'm at the end of a trend, and how do I know, okay, this is the peak of this thing, I need to start looking for whatever the next thing is so that I can move towards that so that by the time that is in place, I'm ready for it. It's interesting because it's you're kind of talking about making change the default status. So if you're constantly living in change, then is that really change? Or would a change for that person be not doing anything, like not moving I mean, forward, staying with what they have? That is definitely something that I have seen definitely in our own business is the, the idea that there is kind of this constant change and that the business that we have today won't really be the business that we have in two years or was the business that we had two years ago. That has to do with new technological advancements that come out. That has to do with new things that we didn't, that people start doing that they weren't doing before. But it also has to do with economic factors and a variety of other things along that line. I don't know. I don't agree with that. The idea that it is a change for that person would be not changing. I think it's more the idea that there's a, there's a true sense of like embracing changes part of being nimble and and I guess that's what I mean though like if it's part of your life and it's just the way that you live your life then maybe it doesn't have the same fear and uncertainty associated with it as I maintain like well I like green beans and I have always liked green beans therefore I will always like green beans like what if it turns out that you really like brussels sprouts 
if you're somebody that's kind of takes change as a normal routine factor in their life, as oxymoronic as that sounds, then you're like, yeah, you know what? This week I really like Brussels sprouts. Last week I really liked green beans. It doesn't mean you don't stand for anything as a person. It just means you're more nimble and fluid. Whereas the person who says green beans, green beans, green beans, not even going to consider the Brussels sprouts. Traumatic to consider the Brussels sprouts. Do you think that... In, a, in running a company or working for a company, often wonder, like, how do you begin to integrate a small piece of this into your day? Is it thinking, like, performing the task differently? Is that part of the equation? Does it break down that far? Or is it more about when you start the beginning of a process, what new factors exist that didn't exist six months ago? Because for me, that's often the way that I start looking at something is like, okay, six months ago, this new ad platform didn't exist, and now it does. Maybe it matters to this person. Maybe it doesn't matter. It's part of the equation now. You almost have to start a step back from that, I think. What this article talks about, too, is how to prepare yourself and others for having a positive reaction to change instead of a negative reaction. The most impactful thing so far is, and this sounds super cheesy, self-affirmations and affirmations. What happens when you're presented with changes, you start to panic. Your world becomes very small. Everything becomes about you, your place in the world. With affirmations, you can precondition your brain to positively react to change. So maybe before you do what you're suggesting, which is you kind of look and see, okay, what's new, what's going on, you sort of center yourself and remind yourself, okay, I'm really good at this. My business is going well in this direction. I have all of these friends, whatever the thing is, then look at those things. And those things will then seem they'll present themselves as opportunities instead of threats. (laughs) You seem so skeptical. No, it's not that I'm skeptical. I think it's more that I think there's a lot of missed opportunities. And there's often a a case to be made for losing what you have in the process of trying to grow to something new. You can't really refute that. But you can begin to question, we have to start to make incremental improvements or adjustments. Otherwise, we'll have to make this massive adjustment down the road. And that may be far more catastrophic than we might if we had made smaller adjustments along the way. It's also in how you look at it. I mean, back in the day, back in the day, when I was a criminal defense attorney, we would talk about how you had to redefine what it meant to win. Because if what it meant for you to win was getting an acquittal every time or getting somebody not indicted every single time, that was unrealistic and you would always be disappointed. If you said, you know what, this was a win because this person got home confinement as opposed to 10 years in prison, that's a win. Kind of retraining yourself that it's not that you're losing something to gain something. It's that you're choosing to do something else. You're giving up something to gain something else. It's a hair's difference, but I think over time, it yeah, it's an important one and it does make a lot of difference. And when you're dealing with clients and you're trying to help them through change, you probably don't want to creep them out by saying like, you're good enough, you're smart (laughs) enough and doggone it, people like you. But you do want to be really careful to encourage them in a very genuine way. Don't just blow smoke up their ass. But find things that they're good at, find things that they're doing well, remind them of those things, remind them of their place in the bigger picture, that if they change the color on their header, on their contact us page, that is not impacting their identity as a person. You're supportive of them, you present them with the change, and then you reinforce with 
something else that's good about them and they will react much more positively to change. What is now, like what's happening now, do you think in that, on that front, like in change? Right now, like as of today, Angie's List announced a big change. And for those of you not familiar with Angie's List, it started, I want to say like 1995 or something. It was been around for a long time. And it's kind of like a Yelp where people submit reviews of different types of vendors. So like your plumber, your lawn care person, electrician. And these are vetted reviews from people who've actually used the service. So if I'm going out and I'm looking for a plumber, I could go to Angie's List and I could see, okay, who's the highest reviewed plumber in my area? Up until now, it's cost people, I think it's like $10 a month or something, to be able to access these listings. So if you're not a member of Angie's List, you just go to the site and it asks you for your payment information. They had a new CEO who took over last year who revealed that they have a 90% bounce rate on their site. Not surprising. They get over 100 million visitors every month, but a 90% bounce rate because people don't want to pay for that information. They've been accustomed to using things like Yelp and Google reviews where it's all free. So later this year... Angie's List is changing its business model after like, I don't know, 20 years or something to say everybody can have access to these reviews, but we're introducing tiered services. And if you want to have, for example, access to an emergency hotline service where a plumber will be to your house in an hour when you need him, then you have to pay a premium. Then you have to pay a premium. It seems like that's kind of the way that you pay for expediency, you pay for convenience, not for access. That's been a growing trend across a lot of, like even although LinkedIn's had trouble with their business model as of recent, it definitely has focused on if you want more access, then you have to pay for that additional access. But pay, you get a very basic level of access access included for free. And the CEO and and the people that are supporting this decision are kind of making the argument that you did a little bit earlier, which is you may have to give up something to get ahead. And they're acknowledging that some people may not want to do this. Some people who've been paying for years may suddenly feel betrayed and abandon the service. But they're confident that over time, what they'll gain in traffic is going to outweigh substantially where they are now, which is not great and probably trending downward if they weren't going to do this. I was interested um, recently by... Scott Kelly, who's an astronaut, who just returned from his year in space, and he promoted a hashtag, hashtag year in space, which you can review (laughs) online and we'll link to, where he shared photos and experiences and videos of things that he did while he was spending his year there. And it gets to a larger point of the idea of reinventing something as big as NASA and the importance of it. Because for years and years, NASA sort of represented this sort of ultimate achievement ultimate uh, scientific discovery. And now with SpaceX and several other things that are coming onto the market, their role is less certain going forward and the relevance that they have is less certain. It was interesting to have somebody use on a hearts and minds tour, if you will, to promote the idea of what an achievement this was, a human up in space for this length of time and what it's like being removed from our gravitational pull. You know, he grew two inches while he was up there. Oh, wow. But it gets into the larger notion of using really straightforward tools in your arsenal to maybe make some change. It wasn't that there was this sophisticated enterprise level. Augmented reality where you can be in space. It was Twitter and Instagram. And it was so great to see that there was this terrestrial connection 
even though when he wasn't. And it really, I think it shows the immediacy of these platforms, but also just the the idea of telling a story over an elongated period of time and how bringing people along for the ride really helps them feel more connected and may help them understand how, what relevance you have in their in their life. I hope not to exploit him, but I hope that he continues to do that after he gets back and talks about what it's like to come back to Earth after what, being... What the reacclimation period is and yeah, like what all the adjustments everything, are. everything like yeah. just noise, ambient noise. That would be fascinating. Astronaut Scott Kelly, please listen to our podcast and tweet your continuing experiences. <laughs> adjustment. Yes, exactly. Live tweet your... Went, went to dry cleaners. What a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Went to dry cleaners. That's still a thing. Hashtag Earth. I like it. How do you see changes happening next? There is a great initiative that The Guardian in the UK has done. They tasked 99 women. They identified 99 women specifically, ranging from writers and actors to politicians and charity leaders and refugees to say, will you write a postcard of solidarity or hope to other women refugees? Take a picture of yourself with that postcard and tweet it using this hashtag. And they picked 99 because in 2014, there were 99 pregnant women detained in the Yarlswood Detention Center in the UK. Of those 99 women, only nine were deported. So the other 90 were detained completely pointlessly. As part of the Women for Women Refugees initiative, The Guardian has orchestrated this social media campaign. And on March, I believe it's March 8th, which is International Women's Day, they've organized a celebration and demonstration outside the home office where they're going to present all of these images to the home office. You've seen it in other social media type uses, and I think you're going to continue to see that social media being used in kind of a quiet way. It's a picture of somebody with a card. It's not a speech. It's not a video. It's just very simple and quiet and says an awful lot. And I think that you'll start to see more of that trying to impact all kinds of things. What you got? Well, for me, what I see next in, in the realm of change is really getting people to allow more humane interactions with the technology. And what I mean by that is that if you've had the experience of trying to give feedback to somebody, you can often feel like, wow, if I could just do point my finger at this thing and show them what I'm up to, or if I could just twist the screen or I could just do these things. And it's amazing the most basic of actions and descriptions that we often rely on in our everyday life when we can speak using our hands or pointing to a piece mm. of paper or something like that that have kind of gotten lost in this digital transformation. And now there's a there's a tool called GitMarker, which is sort of looking to make it so that you can take any screen and mark it up and provide annotations and that sort of thing, which this technology has existed in other ways, but normally requires some sort of connection to a meeting platform or something similar mm-hmm. in order to, to do that. And it doesn't have a necessarily a safe screen function that you can share through a variety of, of channels. And it integrates with one of our favorite tools, Slack. I, I bring up again only because technology and Slack are kind of redefining the way that we think about making things. If the idea of change is kind of inevitable and and part of the equation, finding ways to become more free in the work that we want to do, it seems like that's a good idea. And I think this is actually one of those things that would do that. That's really cool. So do you think that over time that will take the place of meetings? That's the hope. I mean, there's been a lot of push towards that, that how, how often have you been in a corporate meeting and felt like, okay, this meeting doesn't really need to happen. And sometimes it's really valuable to have that face to 
face-to-face interaction with somebody or at least Skype-to-Skype interaction with somebody where you're saying, okay, we really got things talked through in a way that if we had tried to do this over any other communications platform, it would have taken three times as long. But frequently, that is not the case. (laughs) So I'm optimistic about where this leads us. It's like, it's great to see that people are continuing to think of this is the piece of the puzzle that's missing, not I have to make the whole puzzle over again. It felt like that was for a while what the web was or in general was like, I keep remaking the whole thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And now I'm remaking this tiny part of the larger equation, which is pretty great. I'm thinking about how like once this tool is in use, I'm just thinking about those people that I know will say, I've done this. I've done the markup. Let's have a call to talk about what I put in the markup. And my instinct for that is always like, are you effing kidding me? Like we don't need a call. It's right there. But I'm trying to be better about that because if that's the impediment, if the person's like so afraid that they're not going to be heard, that they're not using the tool correctly, doing it once or twice, having the call to walk through, and then you can say, you know, this is going so well, (laughs) I don't think we need to have this call. You know, I think we're doing gangbusters and I can read what you've written and we're good. So probably not going to get to that point. But yeah, no, I have to believe that we're going to get to that point because otherwise I'll just cry. So to all the other like impatient change agents out there, just have compassion. I'm trying to and know that you may have to kind of have one foot in each camp until you can bring everybody over comfortably with the only tears being your own. (laughs) Well, with that, uh, <laughs> we'll go ahead and wrap up today's Cry edition. Cry yourself to sleep. Exactly. We really want to thank you for listening to our show and to all of our listeners out there around the world. We really appreciate all that have taken the time to download and listen to our podcast. Please feel free to follow us along at facebook.com slash graphicmachineinc, where we post a link to each show, and we would love to have more feedback or uh, comments on what people thought. Our Twitter handle is at graphicmachine, and the podcast's uh, Twitter handle is at their podcast. And we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.